You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And we still have a little bit of time here before the Bucks will play on Christmas Day against the Sixers. As we mentioned yesterday, Frank, the Bucks now obviously 27-4. and four. And I was just looking at the standings before we started recording. And we've spoke a little bit about the fact that even though the Bucks had an 18-game winning streak, it didn't feel... Like the, the lead at the top of the East was as much as what an 18-game winning streak should give you. But they've got a five-game lead now over those sort of five trailing teams in the East. And with all these wins starting to pile up, it does feel like uh, heading into this Christmas Day game where a lot of people start to take notice about the NBA that the Bucks have started to open up a little bit of a gap between them and the rest. Yeah, and it, kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, because they have the trip to uh, Paris for the game um, later yeah. in the season. So they're effectively what happens is they've had a more compressed schedule than, than most of the other teams uh, in the East. Ironically, the uh, Sixers have also played 31 games, as have the Bucks. Bucks up six games in both the win and loss column on the Sixers, which I, I, don't even, I think even people who like the Sixers uh, as favorites in the East coming into the season. I think a lot of people, I think Zach Lowe among others, I think had sort of like the Bucks will be the better regular season team, but are the Sixers going to be a better postseason team? Um, they had sort of that, they played that kind of angle. So um, on the one hand, I, I don't think many people had the Bucks winning this many games um, as, as they're currently on pace for. Um, but, you know, I think it was, you know, I mean, Vegas odds were that the Bucks were going to have the most wins in the NBA. Um, and, and so that's, um, in that respect, at least not surprising. But, uh, but yeah, like the Celtics are second in the East. They're 20 and seven. So, you know, they've lost three more games, um, but have won seven fewer games. So <laughs> it's um, a weird looking, it's weird to look at because it feels yeah. like when you look just purely at wins, at the wins column, that it should be a bigger, bigger gap than five games. Yeah, and I think when you think about it that way, right, like Boston would have to win, you know, if Boston wins seven straight and the Bucks lose three straight, uh, then they would be tied, right? Yeah. Which is, that's a lot of stuff that would that would still have to happen. And I, I don't know. So for me, I still just look at it. I, I always just watch the loss column, right? Just because these teams obviously tend to win many more games than they lose. Um, so in, in that respect, I think it's important, obviously, from Bucks' perspective, just you just love to keep racking up those wins and keep that, gap between you and the rest of the competition and, and obviously the east is kind of job one um but certainly seeing the lakers now losing three straight including that bucks loss uh lebron missing this game uh that they lost uh our you know last night and now uh some discussion that lebron and ad <laughs> could be question marks for the christmas day game against the clippers obviously um 
that's obviously very interesting as well. Uh, Clippers at 22 and 10. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to sort of to continue to watch the standings here. Obviously Bucks pretty much doing everything you ever could have asked of them to, you know, open up that lead at the top of the standings. But, you know, even so um, it's not like they've at this point run away and hidden, but it's also very difficult to do that, you know, less than halfway into the season. Right. So um, they're, they're doing everything that, that you could have asked for or hoped uh, for them to do. Um, but again, games like the Sixers here uh, coming up, obviously these are, these are big games and um, you know, they've, with the exception of that Mavericks game, obviously they've held serve uh, beating the Lakers, beating the uh, Pacers last night. Those are obviously not and hardly gimme games, um, but now going on the road in Philly on Christmas day, um, that's obviously about as big a test as probably you can expect in the East because you're on the road and you're playing the team that, you know, probably was the preseason maybe co-favorite or team that was, you know, most expected to, to challenge you. So um, definitely a great litmus test for kind of where the Bucks are and, you know, how these teams match up. Obviously we haven't seen Philly since, you know, the summer when they added Al Horford, they lose Jimmy Butler, they had Josh Richardson, they lose JJ Redick. Obviously there's been a lot of kind of push and pull there. Um, but fundamentally, you know, things in a lot of ways still start with, with Simmons and Embiid and how the Bucks defend those guys and, and how they use those guys plus Horford probably to defend Giannis in particular. So it should be a really good matchup. Uh, and obviously if you can win that game, um, then I think you just sort of further cement, um, you know, your status as, as the team to beat right now in at least from a regular season perspective in the NBA. But I'm sure if they lose, then everybody will, you know, start trotting out all the talking points about why Philly is a better playoff team and all this other stuff. So, you know, again, it's not even Christmas. This will be Christmas. And, you know, we still have four, three and a half months of regular season after this. So, um, yeah, still early. But, again, when, when the bar is so high, um, people are always going to look for, for, you know, chinks in the armor, cracks in the wall, whatever, whatever your metaphor might be. Yeah, I mean, when we look at this game now against Philly, this is really the last of that stretch at the, at the start of December where we looked at this and said, wow, they got through November. They only lost one game. But December is going to throw uh, some, some, you know, some challenges. And it started with the Clippers. And then, well, obviously, the, the Mavericks-Lakers Pacers week, uh, which they, you know, yeah, they dropped on against the Mavericks. You would expect that they would have won without Luka Doncic. But outside of that, they could hardly have been any more impressive. And now they go into Philadelphia. And then after that game, if you look at the schedule, <laughs> I mean, it gets light again, really, till the end of January. I mean, they, are, they have got a real stretch coming up. Uh, the Bucks after they, they travel into Philly, then they've got Atlanta, Orlando, Chicago, T-Wolves, two games against the Spurs, the Warriors, the Kings, the Blazers, Knicks, and then they get the Celtics, which is uh, obviously going to be a tough one. First time Boston comes into Milwaukee. But then to finish off the month, they've got the Nets, Bulls, Hornets, Wizards before they uh, take on the Nuggets on, on January 31. So <laughs> after this game against the Sixers, and, and the Bucks, remember, they haven't lost to a team with a record. I mean, they've hardly lost to anyone, to be fair, but they haven't lost to a team with a record under 500. So, uh, you know, to this point, they've, they've taken care of business. And when we, when we talk about the standings and the lead, they're opening up at the East. It's certainly a favorable schedule if they can get through the sixes here. But uh, let's, let's talk about this Christmas Day schedule because you mentioned AD and LeBron and I know I made a joke about that LeBron injury being fake on yesterday's podcast, but <laughs> listen, if, if they're both questionable uh, for Christmas day, he's pretty legit. And this was something uh, I spoke about with uh, Harrison Fagan last week when we were previewing the Bucks game, whether there was any concern about the health of those two guys. 
both playing 34, 35 minutes a night. And the intensity with the way that they were playing, I mean, this, this was, uh, it was fun to watch for sure. But you certainly had concerns about whether they were going to be able to last an 82-game season. They both already look like they're a little bit hobbled there. The Lakers have lost three in a row. I think I said three out of four last night, but they've lost three in a row. So it's just going to be interesting to see because I think there's been this narrative that the Lakers are, are a deep team, and I've still seen that. But if you even take one of those guys, I I don't know how many times I would pick the Lakers against the, the best teams in the league. I don't think they're that deep. I do think they're it's certainly a, a candidate to try and uh, get another piece before the deadline, maybe a you know a Kuzma trade or something like that. But they're in an interesting position now. And when you look at the Sixers, I, I think they've been really impressive at home, 15-2 and two at home but six and eight on the road. And the, everything that we thought about this team, including how they would struggle on offense, I think has played out in front of us. And I've watched quite a few Sixers games this year and every single time, I wonder how they're going to fix this without making some kind of move because I don't think that it's uh, an issue with what, Basically, I just think it's a personnel problem, and it's it's who they have on the roster, and for them to get any figure that out late in games, particularly in the fourth quarter, where uh, this was prior to the last game they played against against Washington, but they're only averaging twenty five point one points in the fourth quarter, which uh, ranked third last in the league against uh, these de- uh, teams that can close down the paint on defense. I'm just not sure where the answer is for this Philadelphia team. Yeah, and look at their shot chart. It's pretty similar to last year offensively, really the last couple of years. Um, they're a little below average in terms of getting shots at the rim. Uh, they're 18th there for reference. Bucks are 12th in that department. Worse than last year, but still you know above average. Um, and Philly, um, 25th in the league in terms of frequency of threes as a you know, percentage of, of total shots. So they shoot a lot of mid-rangers. They're seventh in short mid-rangers, which are kind of like those floater type shots. Uh, they're 10th in long mid-range shots, eighth in overall uh, mid-range volume. Um, so, you know, again, I mean, obviously Simmons isn't shooting those jumpers. Simmons is kind of exclusive to living in those rim and short mid-range stuff. But Embiid obviously is a guy who shoots a lot. Uh, in that mid-range area, he obviously does shoot a, a fair number of threes, especially for a guy who you know, has not had great accuracy from that range. Um, so, uh, you know, and then you kind of look at the other guys, you know, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson. I mean, those guys aren't either living at the rim, um, nor are they like really high volume three-point shooters. Um, Tobias Harris has kind of come back around uh, this season in terms of improving his shooting a bit. He had a really bad slump. Um, kind of earlier in the season where I don't know what time was it didn't he miss like 20 some straight threes yeah. or, or something like that um, and so he's he's gotten back a little bit he's up to 32 percent from three at this point which is you know better um, but he's not a guy at this point that you know is is what I'd call a you know a really dangerous gunner right and and that's kind of what I think you're alluding to I mean Tobias plays 34 minutes and he averages 4.4 threes per 30 in 34 minutes right so that's that's fewer threes in more minutes than Giannis, right? And again, Giannis also is now taking pretty high volume of threes, so I don't want to diminish that, but um, it kind of puts in perspective, uh, you know, what does it mean to shoot a lot of threes or, you know, how do you, how do you build an offense that 
uh, has that sort of appealing shot profile in terms of rim um, threes and, and free throws. And, um, you know, again, a guy like Tobias is a very good player, I would say. Um, but just in terms of, you know, stylistically how he plays, um, you know, he's not necessarily living in those areas. And um, the flip side is I think he's a guy that they've had to lean on a lot more in like later game situations, even though he's also not like a natural playmaker out of the pick and roll either. Right. He's not a guy like a, you know, even like a Jimmy Butler um, who, you know, I think last year was her sort of de facto go-to guy late in games. If they had to run a pick and roll or have somebody take a, you know, had to settle for a mid range jump shot, it would often be Jimmy. Um, I'm still a little surprised that Embiid hasn't risen to the occasion a little bit more as a late game guy. Um, And again, you know, they can, they can always double um, up the post, which you know is can be can be problematic for bigger guys. I mean, Giannis can suffer from the same the same issue. Although Giannis, obviously, just being able to be a creator from the top changes sort of his you know the dynamic way that he can attack you versus a guy like Embiid. But um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting question, and I think that was offensively the big question about them coming into the year. Just was how are they going to score enough? And I think you know people who were high on them just felt like um, you know they were so good. Uh, in terms of defensive potential that it wasn't necessarily, you know, kind of going to matter. But um, interesting dynamics. I mean, this year the Sixers have actually been better offensively with Embiid on the bench. Um, Last year they were plus seven per 100 Um, with him offensively. They were uh, also seven or eight points better defensively with him on the floor. This year they are miles better with him defensively on the floor, minus 11, so better defensively. So, you know, even more pronounced, but offensively, they're four points per 100 worse, which is kind of a, an interesting dynamic, which I wouldn't necessarily have expected. And um, Sixers plus seven points per 100 um, overall with him, which is about half of what he was last year. So on the one hand, you could say, well, you know, that's not necessarily that bad because, um, you know, last year, and previous years, they were just horrendous when he didn't play. And you expected this year with Horford that they would have much better ability to be a kind of a stable team when he was on the bench. Um, but obviously, you know, in terms of just, you know, the record and kind of how they've looked, um, it just doesn't feel like they've really hit their stride to the point where you feel like, Oh, you know, they're awesome and unstoppable when he's on the court. And now they're, you know, pretty good when, when he's on the court as well. I mean, that, that, that exact hasn't exactly been, um, <laughs> been the case uh, so far this year. And again, I mean, they're, you know, we're probably a little biased because we're watching a team every night that, you know, is 27 and four. So, you know, 20 and 21 and 10 feels like um, a disappointment to a large extent, but you know, as you go last year, this team was only plus 2.6 points per 100. Um, you know, the 18, 19 version of the Sixers was eighth in offense, 15th in defense, which is kind of crazy to think that the, that team was 15th yeah. in defense with Embiid, with Jimmy Butler, Simmons and how versatile he is defensively. Like that's kind of crazy to me that they weren't better defensively. Um, this year, they're up to sixth in defense, which feels like, okay, you know, Embiid, Horford, Simmons, um, Josh Richardson. I mean, yeah, they should be really good defensively, um, but they've dropped down to middle of the pack, 15th in offense, which probably is less surprising. So, uh, yeah, it's just kind of one of these things that I, I don't think necessarily the, the idea of them being really good defensively and mediocre offensively is in any way surprising given what we expected. Um, but I think the big thing, big thing with me, though, when I look at this team is just, you know, I was afraid as a Bucks fan that, you know, they had two young, younger-ish guys yeah. who are hopefully evolving and getting better in Embiid and Simmons, their two cornerstones. And Simmons, you know, statistically, other than the fact that he's hit two threes this year, uh, 
I mean, you know, his numbers are just not better. He, he has not shown really any, any real noticeable development. He's not taken any kind of leap um, individually. When you look at just the overall level of play that, that he brings, you know, the issues with him late in games, being able to initiate, you know, not taking shots in fourth quarters, um, that's still there. And with Embiid, there was a talk about him losing. He talked about losing weight and getting in better shape. And so far, it, it doesn't really seem like that has translated in anything kind of tangible in terms of improved play. And, you know, he's been pretty honest, I think, about, you know, sort of some criticism from the inside the NBA crew. And he, he I give him credit. He said, hey, I got to be better. You know, he didn't, he didn't try to get into a war of words with Shaq and Charles. Uh, and then I think it was the next game that he played really well against uh, or in Celtics and when they beat, uh, when they beat Boston. So um, I don't know, you know, with Embiid, I, I, he's, I think for me, everything kind of revolves around him. He's the best player, both ends. He's the fulcrum of everything. Um, but, uh, you know, until he gets back to even last year, right. Or, or a little bit better than last year, um, then it's hard to, kind of look at them as a team that, you know, you're going to say is, is, is going to be a favorite for an NBA championship. And, you know, the other big piece, obviously with, uh, with Simmons, just, I, I just don't know. I just don't know how that ever kind of is optimized between them with him around. Um, I just feel like ultimately if they don't win a title this year, this is when you kind of look to, to make a move and, and see what you can get for Ben Simmons. And I, I think he could be much better probably playing for a different team that is more built around, playing up tempo and spacing around him. But, you know, as good as Al Horford is shooting threes, as much as MB can step out, I mean, this is not really a lineup that is constructed to optimize <laughs> Ben Simmons. And I don't think it's really a lineup that's optimized for, for Joel Embiid either. And um, not necessarily an issue defensively, but offensively, uh, obviously there, there are a lot of questions and I think it's going to be fun to watch, you know, the Bucks and their defense go against this offense and likewise see the Bucks offense go against this defense because uh, this defense has generally been great at limiting threes. Um, hasn't been actually as good at preventing shots at the rim, which is interesting given how big they are. But, um, you know, definitely there's a lot of subplots and intrigues for sure when you look at the way these teams match up. Yeah, just on, on Embiid, it's interesting because he is such a physically dominant player. And if you watch that game, that Philadelphia-Boston game a couple of weeks ago, um, you saw how dominant he is when the opposition doesn't really have a good matchup for him. He just physically overwhelmed uh, the Celtics. And I know there was some, uh, it was kind of funny the way that was put. I can't remember who put it on Twitter. It might've been Kevin O'Connor or something like that, who, by the way, what a tweet. <laughs> Lit up Ben Simmons. <laughs> Holy shit. That was incredible. And you know what? I, I don't think he's wrong though. And I think that was the interesting thing about that tweet. But yeah, uh, I think it was Kevin O'Connor that tweeted uh, about, um, MB just having an, a, an amazing game or whatever it was. And people were like, oh, Giannis does that every single night. And it's true, he does. But it was just interesting to see MB when he was clearly motivated and he went out and did that. But then he sort of just faded back into the background again. And he's not looking to do that every night. And I'm not sure when, even if he talks about losing weight, I'm not sure he's in physical shape to do that every single night. And again, today for today's game, uh, Philadelphia game he's listed as out with or questionable with illness and I know Sixers fans say well it's just load management they just say illness and Bede missed playoff games with illness last year like <laughs> maybe they are hiding something but I, I don't know is this guy just sick all the time like what's wrong with him I, I don't understand but if that's the guy that you're relying on over the course of a regular season I just don't know I mean it, it's strange I did expect him to even take another step this year he was obviously fantastic last season and uh when you look at that physical dominance and, and the numbers, Joel Embiid, just 50% on two 
uh, point shots this season. We know when you compare that to Giannis, who's someone who is physically dominant every single night, he's shooting 64% on twos. And some of that is just because Embiid takes tough jump shots and he's always taking those fadeaway uh, shots in the post. But I don't know. He just he seems to he has to be better, and I think that's why we were everyone was so fearful of this Sixers team uh, coming through. And I remember a couple of seasons ago, uh, I, I I don't know whether I I wrote about it or I said something somewhere that I was really frustrated with the Bucks when I was watching this Sixers team because uh, I just felt that the the Sixers had made all the right decisions to fit the right pieces around Ben Simmons, and this was when Giannis wasn't really shooting the three. Uh, this was the last Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty. Uh, Jason Kidd slash Joe Prunty season. And Giannis wasn't really shooting the threes. And I was looking over at this Sixers team and I'm like, wow, I mean, yeah, they have Embiid around Simmons, but they also have Robert Covington, uh, JJ Redick. They picked up Bellinelli and Ersan Ugas over in, in the buyout season. And I was just like, man, Simmons looks like a, a terror out there with all this shooting around him. And it's just staggering to me <laughs> the path they've gone down because you touched on it. They should have been elite defensively last year with Butler, Simmons, Embiid. And even if Simmons and Embiid are your two focal points on defense, you still should have a top 10, a top 10 in the league, but you've got to be able to score. And even though we won't find out until the playoffs, because I do think that this Philadelphia defense is built uh, for the postseason, and they're going to be hard to score on. I'm not sure how they score themselves, though, unless they make a move. Because when we talk about Ben Simmons refusing to shoot in the fourth quarter, I don't really know what he's supposed to do. And you can say, well, yeah, he could just start shooting jump shots. And obviously that's the easy answer. But with the way this team is built, you put the ball in his hands, every single player on the opposition is just going to go, all right, well, I don't really care. Then you can have the ball in your hands. What are you going to do with it? You're not going to shoot. We're not going to let you get into the paint. And he doesn't even have the weapons around him to drive and kick anyway. So then everyone can just close in on Embiid. And Simmons, if you put the ball in his hands, he's just useless in the fourth quarter at the moment, unless it's in uh, transition. So... Uh, I, I understand why they went down the path of Horford with you know, respect to that, that matchup with Boston, perhaps, and potentially Giannis, which we're going to see how effective that, that will be on Christmas Day. But uh, it, it, it didn't make sense at the time to me, and, and watching them this year, it still doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and just for reference, if folks aren't don't know what we're talking about, this is Kevin O'Connor too. So Kevin O'Connor from from the Ringer. <laughs> I mean, Kevin's normally a very yes. positive guy, I would say. But um, he, so this was December twentieth. Uh, he does go in. He has gone in on Simmons a few times. Remember a couple of weeks ago, he said that Ingram is officially a better player than Simmons. Yeah, and but and O'Connor's is- always always talked about you know Simmons and the fact that he shoots yeah. with the wrong hand. Um, so, but, but here's the tweet. So it, it, I'll just read out the tweet just so people know what we're talking about, but it, this is, this is coming in hot. So sad to see Ben Simmons turn into Jaleel Okafor crossed with Michael Carter Williams in the fourth quarter. Sixers fans should be furious about his lack of offensive development. Simmons is still a cowardly shooter, a half, uh, half court liability and a detriment to Philly's playoff odds. The only thing he was, uh, missing there was like a hashtag big effing baby um, uh, thing there for uh, calling back to, to Giannis's uh, rallying cry uh, last spring. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting situation, but you know, you also remember, I mean, it's still, it's still very early in the season. Um, I think certainly there is the possibility of some kind of move that they could make. Um, I don't know what that necessarily would, would be at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely a team that could use, I mean, we talk about, 
Bledsoe not having anyone to guard on a lot of these teams. And, you know, if Bledsoe was, was healthy, yeah. I, I guess he guards Josh Richardson. Right, I guess. Um, but but this is uh, that's, I, that's the point you make though, because it, it, it's particularly in the fourth quarter, you don't need to guard Ben Simmons, and and you're already talking about this Bucks defense as we know, such a, a great rim protection. It's like, well, I, I don't like. What do you do with Ben Simmons? Like, it doesn't really matter. Uh, he's not going to yeah. shoot, so it just makes yeah. it too easy. And I think the big problem with Simmons is less so that he doesn't shoot jump shots. Um, and, you know, as people who watched Giannis over the years, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, I think if he just, and again, I'm not saying like, oh, just, just attack and be relentless and go at the rim like Giannis. I mean, okay, you can't just snap your fingers and become Giannis going to the basket. Yeah. But, um, you know, when you look at Simmons' physical tool set, uh, you know, he's fairly ambidextrous he's obviously very athletic i mean he's like 610 to 40 something ish um he's not that different size wise from Giannis. there are very few people that you could tell hey go try to be like Giannis and actually have them maybe actually pull off it to at least some some degree of similarity uh and so but I, i just think he plays with a tentativeness um and with a passiveness that just doesn't work. Um, and it just, I don't know. And, and again, like you, you just sort of look at how this team is constructed, how it's coached. I mean, I think if you're, you know, any, a fan of any other contender, I think, you know, you probably should have been happy that Brett Brown came back and again, not because Brett Brown's a bad coach, but just, I just don't know what, what they're going to do at this point. Right. It just, it, it just seems like they need they're, you know, again, and not to say that they can't figure some stuff out or that maybe the defense becomes, you know, even more dominant in the, in the playoffs, but um, they, they need something beyond kind of what we're seeing here in the regular season, at least. And obviously in the playoffs last year, the big thing was more Jimmy Butler than Joel Embiid, who was basically seemed like he was sick for like a week and a half basically. <laughs> and um, you know, it, it was just sort of strange trying to figure out like what exactly was going on there. I mean, I've had food poisoning. That's knocked me out for a few days. I can't imagine playing with, with food poisoning, but um, it just seemed to drag on and on and on for Embiid. And you just never knew night to night if he was, kind of what condition he was going to be in and obviously you know everybody knows about his injuries early in his career um but it's just been kind of hard to figure out uh you know how you how you get the most out of him and and how you kind of manage his minutes manage his his load and um obviously so far this year he just hasn't looked quite the same guy still awesome um but he hasn't looked he hasn't i i looked at him as a guy that was a real dark horse favorite to um to potentially be an mvp this season and um, I, I wouldn't have been surprised at all if he came out and averaged, you know, 28 points, 13 rebounds, you know, three blocks and just was a dominant defensive player. And, and again, he's still generally a dominant defensive player. Um, but uh, kind of another example of this, you know, the double edged sword of, of having shooting ability. We talked about Porzingis. He's not as good as Porzingis is as a shooter, but uh, and, and Embiid obviously is much more talented, I'd say, in the post, getting to the rim, etc. cetera. Uh, but it does feel like his ability to hit those mid range jump shots and, you know, get hot at times from three just makes him more willing to settle for those as well. And kind of takes him out of maybe playing with that aggressiveness and, and using that strength in the way you'd like. And obviously I don't, I mean, I, I would generally say this, I, I mean, I like the Brooke Lopez signing a year ago in part because I thought uh, it gave them, you know, a more physical, better body and, you know, who could also take and beat outside mm-hmm. offensively. Uh, I don't know if I was that impressed by Lopez, against Embiid one-on-one during the season last year. But I think at least on paper, it makes sense um, that Brooke can, can have some success there. Uh, and obviously, you know, signing Rolo, 
I think that's certainly part of the thesis there was wanting one more big body that you could trust to, um, you know, to, to make Embiid earn it in the post if and when you ever had to face them in the playoffs. So, um, so it'll be interesting. I think probably the most interesting thing for me is just looking at um, how Giannis attacks this game. And, and again, you, you would assume that he'll be defended by Horford. He's been obviously defended by Embiid a lot uh, last year against the Sixers. And you know, his last two games scored 97 points, even though Embiid, I think, is a very credible one-on-one defender against him. But it's just hard to, you know, have Embiid chase him up and down the court and, you know, stick with him through pick and rolls and all these different things you can do. So I am going to be curious to see what they do with Horford and, and how well they're able to, um, you know, use Horford to slow him down. Uh, because, again, certainly just the size of that defense. Um, interestingly, like, as I mentioned, th- that defense is really good at preventing threes. They've given up a pretty good percentage of shots at the rim though which you know again intuitively you think they probably would um would do better in that regard but um we'll have to see how it works um you know i think certainly Giannis's three ball we saw the pacers really kind of clamp down on his perimeter shooting looks by playing smaller guys on him uh on sunday and i'll be interested to see here in this game you know does Giannis get more open looks and and we saw obviously certainly against Embiid being able to knock down wide open threes is important because he gave them up a lot of them. And, and even Horford, I think Horford will defend him more honestly than, than Embiid did last year. But, um, you know, certainly again, Al is, is not a guy that wants to be face guarding you, you know, 20, 29, 30 feet from the, from the basket either. Yeah. It's interesting to look at uh, Embiid uh, against the Bucks last season. The one game that stands out for me is, is obviously uh, this was the same game that Giannis had 50 where Embiid had, uh, I mean, his line is is great. 40, 40 points, 15 rebounds, six assists, three steals, one block. I mean, it's a monster line. But uh, he was four for 13 from the three-point line. Um, this is a guy that this season is averaging 3.6 three-point attempts per game. And you would even say that that's, I mean, that's borderline for him. I mean, he's not a great uh, shooter from the outside. Funnily enough, the thing that always shocks me is how effective his uh, slow-mo pump fake is on the perimeter. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's unbelievable to me how often he gets people uh, off their feet there. But uh, even in the, the other games against the Bucks, Embiid really turned into an outside shooter. And uh, yeah, the numbers were pretty good. But I think that is the effect of, of not only Lopez, but Giannis. And, and we know... Uh, how well the Bucks have protected the paint. So it's going to be interesting to see whether he's able to, uh, maybe with the the addition of Horford, who actually is shooting over four threes a game uh, this season. He hasn't always been someone that's been a reluctant shooter, but he kind of needs to be for this Sixers team. So it'll be interesting to see what effect that has on, on Embiid and whether he stays out on the perimeter. All right, everyone, we are going to leave it there for the first part of our Bucks Sixers preview. We've split this chat uh, up into two. We're going to get to the second half as we continue to look at what we're expecting from this game, some of the key players. We talk a lot about Dante DiVincenzo, who has quickly become such a, a valuable part of this Bucks roster and, and a key player moving forward, we believe, as the Bucks continue their charge at the top of the East. But as I said, we will drop a podcast on what will be Christmas Day for me. Christmas Eve for those of you in the United States. But for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you guys tomorrow.